Welcome to my living room. We're so glad that you can join us this Sunday morning. We're in a sermon series called Fear Not, not spelled with the letter K, because that's what fear does to us. It ties us up in knots. Throughout the Bible, we're told that nearly 400 times, fear not. God is on our side. Fear not. We need not be consumed with fears. Fear not. Last week, we talked about facing our fears with faith. Not just faith in anything, not faith in ourselves or faith in money or faith in the government. No, no, no. Faith in God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. Our fear acrostic is this. Last week was F, facing your fears with faith. This week, it's E, examine our circumstance or or maybe evaluate our assumptions in light of the facts. When I was a child, we had a collection of children's books. I think my mom used her S&H green stamps to get them. Does anyone remember S&H green stamps? Wow, I'm really dating myself now. S&H green stamps were given out at the checkout of the grocery store, Farmer Jack or A&P. And you'd save those stamps and redeem them for a prize from a little catalog. Well, my mom saved her stamps and purchased a collection of children's stories. One of those stories was Henny Penny. You may have read the story as Chicken Little. We were Henny Penny people in my house. Well, Henny Penny, or Chicken Little, as the story goes, has been told in some form or another in many different cultures for nearly as long as we've had the New Testament, for about the last 2,000 years. In the Henny Penny story, Henny Penny is scratching along the ground and an acorn hits her in the head. She declares, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and she runs off to tell the king. Well, along the way, she meets friends, a rooster, a goose, a duck, and a turkey. Henny Penny tells them, and before you know it, there is a barnyard hysteria taking off. The story's point is to show how fear, irrational fear, can spread like wildfire. Now, if you know the Henny Penny story, you know it doesn't have a happy ending. Henny Penny does not live happily ever after. The barnyard hysteria led them to suspend logic. And so on the way to tell the king, the frightened, hysterical animals meet a red fox. Oh boy. And the red fox tells them he knows a shortcut to the palace. Don't listen, don't listen. But their irrational fears blinded them from seeing the fox as he truly was, an enemy, a predator. And Henny Penny and her friends follow that old fox straight into his den. And that's where Henny Penny and her friends become a tasty dinner for the fox family. It's kind of a frightening, terrible childhood story now that I think about it. But the point, irrational fears can lead us to do irrational things, which usually end in disaster. That's why it's so important to examine our circumstance or evaluate our assumptions in light of the facts. Even before the virus, before this current crisis struck, We were a fearful people. That's why I was planning on preaching this series this coming fall, not now, before I knew anything about COVID-19. Fear is at an all-time high. Fear of the future, fear of people who don't look like us or talk like us or think like us or worship like us. There's so many phobias. People are afraid, afraid of everything. You name it, someone's afraid of it. And politicians, politicians use fear. Both sides use fear, fear of the unknown, fear of what the other side might do or not do. And fear gives way to paranoia. Fear eventually leads to hate. Remember 1 John 4.18, 
Perfect love drives out fear, but unbridled, irrational fear ultimately leads to hate. Hitler used fear of the Jews to sanction the Holocaust, and that left six million dead. The Rwandan genocide of 1994 was fueled by the Hutus' fear of paranoia and the Tutsis. Close to a million people died in just three months. The rise of white supremacists in our country is driven by fear, fueled by hate. Make no mistake, it is not from the Lord. As we started the first week of the series, we stated that, that fear is a gift from God meant to protect us. It keeps us from getting too close to the edge of a cliff. It makes us unaware when a snarling dog is approaching. We proceed with caution when we must go down a dark and uncertain path. But irrational fears can incapacitate us over harmless things. Fear can have us exaggerate the magnitude of a situation. We talked about the Israelite spies in Canaan two weeks ago. Moses sent these 12 guys to scout out the land, and 10 of them came back and said, wow, yeah, the land is great, it's awesome. But their hyperactive imaginations took over. But, they said, we're like grasshoppers compared to them. Oh, seriously, come on, like grasshoppers? How, how big is a grasshopper? Let's say it's a really big grasshopper. What would it be, maybe three inches high? Three inches would be a pretty good-sized grasshopper, I think. The average male in the United States today is five feet, three inches tall. I am just below average. <laughs> Many of my critics have been saying that for a long time. The average male, five feet, nine inches, 9.3 inches tall. Humans have been getting taller. So let's say the Israelite spies were on the short side. Let's say they were only five feet tall. My guess is they were taller than that. But for argument's sake, for easy math's sake, let's say they were five feet tall or 60 inches tall. For a five-foot-tall man, a 60-inch-tall man, to be, appear to be the size of a three-inch grasshopper in comparison to the Canaanite soldiers, do you know how tall those Canaanite soldiers would have had to have been? A hundred feet tall. For a five-foot-tall Israelite soldier to appear as a grasshopper, they, they would have had to have been a hundred feet tall. Are you kidding me? No, I don't know how tall those Canaanite monster soldiers were. But they were not 100 feet tall. The Israelite spies' fearfulness drove them to tell the people that there was like Godzilla-sized monsters on the other side of the Jordan River. Come on. That's just crazy. Irrational fears magnify the problem. We're like grasshoppers. Listen, we have a choice. You can focus on the things that might happen to us, be frozen by the fear of what could be, maybe, potentially be, possibly. We can inflate those threats or obstacles to impossible proportions. We're like grasshoppers. Or we can focus our attention, face our fears, last week's sermon, on faith, on God, the creator of heaven and earth. And let me just state for the record, I guess this is where my psychology major is coming out in me. Some folks' fears are based on anxiety disorders, panic attacks, obsessive compulsive disorder, or post-traumatic stress. And godly psychologists and therapists can offer us insights, even medications, 
to help us deal with those conditions. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. In the past, if you admitted you were struggling with an issue of the mind, there was a certain amount of stigma that sometimes went along with that. People might have thought terrible things about you. But I'm thankful for researchers and scientists and doctors and various medications because when those medications are taken properly, they can be a great help over such fears and hang-ups. But that's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm saying is that the primary place human beings have historically turned to to find relief and help was faith in God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. They've committed themselves to spiritual practices, reading your Bible, prayer, fasting, living in obedience to Him, drawing closer to Him. So for total healing and health, mind, soul, body, we need God Almighty for that. So examine our circumstance or evaluate our assumptions in light of the facts means I have a clear view of my situation. Is this real or am I blowing it out of proportion? But I also have a clear view of God Almighty, like we talked about last week. Do you remember in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells us to speak to the mountains in our lives. He said this, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and you don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. Talking to mountains. That's what Jesus said. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Maybe. Hey, Mr. Mountain, you're kind of in my way. Would you, would you mind jumping into the sea? Jesus' point is that there comes a time when we need to quit talking to God about the big, hairy mountains that are standing in our way and start talking to the big, hairy mountains about our even bigger, more awesome, almighty creator of heaven and earth, God. We're in a storm right now like, like we've never seen before. Maybe it's time to start talking to COVID-19 about God. COVID-19, you're not going to steal my joy. COVID-19, you're not going to rob me of my family. COVID-19, you're not going to define my reality. COVID-19, you're not going to unsettle my faith. COVID-19, you're not going to lead me to a dark and dreary place. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. If you're counting, that's two weeks in a row that I've quoted that song. Or how about this one? Just, just prior to that conversation about talking to mountains. It was between Palm Sunday and Good Friday when Jesus came upon a fig tree that had no figs. This is what happens next, according to Mark. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Well, the next day they were walking in that exact same spot and Peter noticed the tree all withered up. Hey, Jesus, there's the tree from yesterday that's, that you zapped, that's all withered up today. Check it out. What's the big deal? Jesus cursed a barren fig tree. The miracle is different from most all the other miracles of Jesus because all the other miracles bring life. This one brought death. All the other miracles result in a blessing. This one is a curse. An interesting little tidbit from this story. Did you notice that in the verse, who Jesus is talking to in that miracle? He's not directing his words to the disciples. No, he speaks to the tree. Jesus tells us to talk to mountains, get out of my way, jump in the sea. And now he's talking to a tree. What's my point? Sometimes we need to talk to the mountains and remind them about our almighty God. And sometimes we need to talk to the barren fruit trees in our lives and say, I'm done with you. Why don't you wither up and go away? Irrational fears pushed into overdrive by worries. 
are like the barren fruit trees in our life. Maybe fears and worries have been pushed into overdrive because of coronavirus. Have you coughed and thought, oh my goodness, I've got COVID-19? <laughs> or maybe felt a little unsettled, oh my goodness, I, I've, I've got COVID-19. Probably all of us have thought that at one point or another in the last month and a half. Oh boy, here it comes. Those barren fruit trees, irrational fears, keep us from fulfilling the potential that God has for us. Because irrational fears, barren fruit trees, rob us of the real fruit that's supposed to rule our lives, spiritual fruit. The fig tree wasn't bearing fruit. Irrational fears keep us from living out the fruit of the Spirit. It's tough to be carrying around irrational fears at the same time demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You can't carry them both. So maybe, maybe, maybe following Jesus' lead, we need to curse those barren fig trees in our lives and to show them the, 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 the barren fig trees just who the boss is. It's not us, by the way. That's Jesus. Jesus is in control. Have I quoted this song lately? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where we need to stand. I trust Jesus over my irrational fears. That's the point. Now, now let me offer this disclaimer. You already know this, but I'm going to state it anyway. All of this doesn't mean that life will always be easy. I'm not saying that there won't be big hairy mountains that stand in your way or barren fruit that enter into your life experience. I'm not saying that that our fears will, will never have legitimate fears. My goodness, we're living in the middle of a pandemic. Clearly, there are legitimate fears. But we still don't want those fears to own us, do we? Rational or irrational. We don't want them to, to own us, to control us. What's our big lesson for today? Examine our circumstance. Evaluate our assumptions in light of the facts. Listen, we aren't the first people to go through a storm. Toward the end of, of his missionary career, Paul, in, chapter, in the book of Acts, Paul is on his way to Rome to stand before trial before Caesar. Now, this is a really big deal because it's a life or death issue. If Caesar points his thumb down, Paul is toast. It's a big deal. I would think all of us would say, now that's a legitimate fear. Paul is in a fearful situation. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, it gets a whole lot worse. Luke, in chapter 27 of the book of Acts, says this. Most of the time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. All right, the Day of Atonement was in September, the end of September. The rule of thumb was sailing after the Day of Atonement was just stupid, 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 extremely dangerous. Sailing in November was suicidal. So this ship is being sailed probably in October, maybe close to November. And Paul says, you know, fellas, maybe we shouldn't be sailing right now. But the guy in charge says, listen, bud, you're a tent maker, not a sailor. Thanks, but no thanks, Mr. Prisoner. We're going to take the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Of course, we know what happens. A storm arose, a bad storm, verse 18. We took such a violent battering from the storm that next day that they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Then when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. 
Okay, we would all agree that's a legitimate fear. And Paul says exactly what you do not want to hear from a guy who said we shouldn't have set sail at first. He says the exact wrong thing. He says, men, you should have taken my advice and not sail from Crete. Acts 27, 21. I told you so, boys. I told you. You didn't listen to me. I told you so. I told you so. But then Paul says exactly what you do want to hear in that moment. Verse 23. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong, whom I serve, stood beside me and said, here it comes, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, Paul said, for I have faith in God that will happen just as he told me. Don't be afraid. God's gonna see us through this storm. You can trust him. Did you hear that, my brothers and sisters, in the middle of a coronavirus storm? Do not fear because of this storm. You can trust God. God is going to see us through. Well, Paul's situation, his circumstance, get even worse. Remember our title, Examine Our Circumstance. Well, it gets worse. The ship is destroyed in the storm. Let me pick up in verse 41. The ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck first and would not move. Then the stern was broken into pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to, who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest of us were on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Whew. Okay, let's examine Paul's circumstances. He's on a prison ship. That's bad. And then he goes through this terrible storm. Well, that's worse. And then the ship shipwrecks. That's bad. But then everyone is saved. That's good. But then listen to what happens next. Paul writes, or Luke writes this. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of that island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. Now, that doesn't sound too bad so far, right? Maybe they were going to eat some s'mores or sing campfire songs. Hold on, though. Verse 3. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. Oh boy, a few things. The people of Malta, they must have been believers in karma or something, something weird, because he survived a storm and a shipwreck, but he must be a really, really bad dude because now he got bit by a poisonous snake. That's just bad theology, and we don't believe that junk. Still, the, the, the point is, this definitely qualifies as a really, really bad circumstance. Every one of us would say, okay, all of these are legitimate fears. Being on a prison ship sent to Rome, that's bad. Going through a storm, that's bad. Being shipwrecked, that's bad, bad, bad. Swimming to shore, but only to get bit by a poisonous snake. I think if I were Paul, I would have, you know, thrown up my arms in the air and said, God, what's going on here? I'm serving you, doing the best that I can. But now I'm on a prison ship and it gets shipwrecked and the cherry on top is I get bit by a poisonous snake. Carla would have dropped dead right there. Snake, are you kidding me? Boom, dead, over, no more Carla. She is not a fan of that creature of the Lord's. But, but look at how God turns the situation around. Acts 28, verse 5. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. 
The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. Obviously, there's not a lot of entertainment on Malta. Let's watch the Roman prisoners swell up and drop dead. But that's not what happened. Let me read on. But when they waited a long time and saw he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Again, the people of Malta have some bad theology. First, they believe in karma or whatever. Now they're believing that Paul is a god. They need Jesus. Let me read on. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, a chief official of the island. All right, the big cheese of the island is right there. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in, prayed for him, laid his hands on him, healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. Whew, what a story. Let me state the obvious. Paul and Publius never should have ever met. Malta was not their destination when they left port. They were going to Rome. Paul was supposed to meet Caesar, not Publius. There is no way under normal circumstances that prisoner Paul ever, ever, ever should have gotten to have a conversation or had an audience with Publius. It, 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 it took being in a storm on a prison ship and then having that prison ship shipwrecked and having the guards not kill him when they were shipwrecked and, and, and they washed on the shore right next to Publius' estate and being bitten by a poisonous snake, but not keeling over dead, all those circumstances set up this appointment with Publius. And as a result, Publius' sick dad was made well, and a whole lot of other people on the island were healed, and revival came to the island of Malta. Now, I guarantee, had we gone up to Paul and said, Paul, let's, let's examine your circumstances. It's pretty scary, pretty legitimate fears, a pretty, pretty tough situation. Paul would have said, yeah, 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 but... But, but, but did you see how God can use prison ships and storms and shipwrecks and snake bites for his glory? Look around. Look what's happening in Malta. It doesn't take much imagination to hear Paul saying something like, that's why I love serving Jesus. You never know what's going to happen next, but you can be sure of this. He really does work out all things for his glory. Do you remember Paul's words in Romans 8? He, he wrote this, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Prison ship, shipwrecks, poisonous snake bites. He works all things out for the good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul knew that serving Jesus brings joy, even in the midst of fearful circumstances. Not because things always go as we plan, not because uh, we're in a perfect setting or that life is never difficult, but because we're trusting that God can work in the midst of a terrible circumstance, coronavirus included. When we're trusting him, when we're following him, when we're on board with Jesus, God works out all things for his glory. In fact, if, if we were to read through the book of Acts about Paul's travels, we would discover that some of Paul's destinations were planned, but many of them were not on the itinerary. Paul ended up in Athens because a mob in Thessalonica ran him out of town. And he traveled to Troas because the Holy Spirit closed the door in Bethania. And as we've already talked about, revival came to Malta because a prison ship was shipwrecked in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Athens, Troas, Malta weren't part of the plan, 
But God used these detours to perfectly position Paul exactly where he needed to be. Now, we've all had a major detour in our lives. No one planned COVID-19. None of us heard about coronavirus, you know, three or four months ago. The question is, how can we use this coronavirus detour for God's glory? Maybe there's a neighbor of yours that needs Jesus. Maybe it's a, a person that you would have never met had it not been for this detour that needs Jesus. Can I tell you, there are people right now, you're listening at home right now, hello. Maybe you've never been uh, set foot in our church in Flint. Come to Flint, you'll love it. Maybe you live in another part of the country, come to Flint, you'll love it. Maybe church has never been on your itinerary, just like Malta wasn't on Paul's. Maybe your spouse is tuned in and listening and watching and you're just kind of eavesdropping right now. Could it be that God can use this coronavirus, this detour, so that you might find peace and joy and meaning in this old life? Could it be that God can use this COVID-19 detour to do something awesome within you? Listen, that's exactly how God works. God takes the, the things that Satan thought would wreak havoc and God transforms them into his glory. Remember our acoustic F, face your fears with faith, God is on our side. E, examine our circumstances in light of the facts. Next week is gonna be A, attack your anxieties with action. I can't, I can't wait for that one, that'll be fun. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that even in the midst of a coronavirus storm, we can put our trust in you. And this detour in all of our lives does not have to be the defining factor. In fact, we want to introduce COVID-19 to our almighty God. And God, you are bigger than this storm. You are going to see us through. And Lord, would you use us for your glory? Would you use us to share your love with people that, that maybe don't know the love of Jesus? Lord, we pray that you would take this terrible time in which our world is experiencing and transform it into your glory. Lord, we're trusting you today. Be with our folks at home. Give us a great day ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place.